This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Download the top-rated ball sports app today for the latest odds on weekend GAA action and great money-back offers on every televised championship game. GAA betting with ball sports, bring it on! You're listening to the Throw-in, the GAA Championship podcast on Independence.ie. Hello, I'm Frank Roach and on this week's show we've got three provincial football finals to look forward to as well as four qualifiers, some with real shock potential. Surely Westmead won't oppose the all-conquering dubs in Leinster. Arthur on the form team to watch or can Donegal halt their Ulster march? And as for the Connacht final replay, will it be another hand-passing, back-passing snooze-fest in Castlebar or will either Roscommon or Galway just go for it? Alan Brogan joins Michael Verney, Donegal Boyle and Conor McKeown as we discuss the weekend action. Connor, for the Leinster final on Sunday, is it a case of by how much for Dublin against Westmead? It probably is. I mean, there's no, there's no making a case for anything other than Dublin winning. But I suppose if you're to look at it from a Westmead point of view, because I think a Westmead approach to the game will probably dictate what kind of a spectacle it is. But you know, if you take it that you're probably not going to win the game, you know, what type of defeat or what kind of performance do you want? And the days of trying to get blows of people behind the ball and waiting for Dublin to kind of get a bit too advanced and trying to hit them on the counter-attack. Like Dublin have gone beyond that now at this stage. So I don't think, um, you know, doing something that's really restrictive to the players that they won't enjoy. A little bit like Mead in the second half. You know, Mead were sitting really, really deep. Dublin were seven or eight or nine points up. Uh, and Dublin were just throwing the ball around. And I think that would really dispirit uh, Westmead if they try that. And if you look at the other kind of performance that you could put up, uh, for Manor last year in the All-Ireland quarter-final, there was only, I think, eight points in that game. Fermanagh got a couple of goals and you know they were one of the few teams who have experienced the beating like that against Dublin who were playing with the same kind of energy and the same enthusiasm uh, in the last 10-15 minutes when the game was gone for them as they were at the very very start like they were still challenging um, for goals they got two goals into the hill um, and you know if you if you lose like that I think you can probably take something from the game even if it is a defeat but if you sit back and you lose by 10 um, it's a very, very hard thing to take much out of. But, you know, you go on the front foot, you get a couple of goals against Dublin, uh, you make the game interesting and you, you try and play um, to the way that probably suits your players more naturally and you go down by an even bigger score, I think you can probably pick it up after that. Alan, that's the big conundrum for, for Tom Cribben this week. How, how do Westmead go at it? Uh, if you were in his shoes, what would you what would you do? Yeah, well, I think he's spoken 
this week already about having a cut at the dubs and whether that's mind games or a smoke screen, I'm not sure, but but um hopefully he backs that up. And I think a lot of myself included, a lot of Dublin supporters leaving Croke Park after the Mead game would have been thinking, God, do we have to come back here again in three weeks? Maybe he is going to throw a bit of caution to the wind and after losing last year by 13 points and playing an ultra-defensive game that maybe these guys are in two Leinster finals in a row. They've earned the right to be there. They've been the, the second most consistent team in Leinster over the last couple of years. So, hey, let's go out and Let's go out and have a go at this. But so I think it's important that he pushes up on Stephen Cluckton's kickouts. Um, if you do concede the kickouts, you're giving Dublin a serious advantage. So I hope they push up in the kickouts and try and make Stephen go along with them and hope that around midfield becomes a bit of a battleground then. And then we see we might see for the first time this year have have Dublin got that hunger to go on and, and retain the All Ireland. Look like if you're going by talent alone, there's no doubt there's only going to be one winner on Sunday. And as, as Connor said there, it is hard to make a case for otherwise. But I just hope that, that that Tom follows up those words during the week and they really do have a cut at the dubs. And if they end up on the losing side by whatever score, at least they've, they've approached the game in what I think is the right way. That brings us to Dublin's own mindset approaching this game. Now, uh, I presume it's fair enough to say they won't be disrespecting Westmead in any way. But deep down, do you think... The players surely know that you know they can't really really lose this game if to play anywhere near potential. Yeah, I think it has to get into the psyche at some stage that 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 well, there's no chance of us losing this game. Our players are just just too good. But you can be sure Jim and his management team will have been drilling it in all week, and um, that's one of Jim's attributes is that he does really approach each each game at a time, like whether it's Westmead or whether it's Kerry and all Ireland final, the same level of analysis will be done on their players and Dublin will have the homework done. So it'll come down to, to the players' mindsets whether they're um whether they are whether they are folks or not. And I think there's a very experienced group there that that, that can place probably won't sit in, but at the same time, um it is hard to it is hard to keep it out of players' minds when they're when they've been winning Leinster championships so easy like they're going for six in a row now. A lot of these guys there wouldn't be any guys in that team have even suffered a defeat in the Leinster campaign. So um it's unknown to them and I suppose that we'll have to creep into the psyche at some stage. Michael? Um, Alan, just on that, obviously in the last couple of years, I'm just wondering, as a, even as one of the more experienced players, how did you deal with people telling you in the weeks before games, particularly Leinster games, that you're going to win by 10 or 12 points? How do you stop that from getting into your mind and how do you stop it from affecting your performance? Yes, the huge thing for that Dublin team over the last number of years has been trying to ignore that sort of talk and certainly from the point of, the, point of view of the media and stuff, but the media and obviously on the other side at the moment but coming the week or two leading into these sort of games it would be drilled home to the lads not to be reading media to stay off the radio show stay off that sort of thing so that that sort of mindset doesn't seep into guys and um, I think that's all I think that's all you can really do after that it comes down to how mentally strong you are to just try and keep those thoughts out and, but I think the problem I think the problem in the Leinster Championship at the moment even if that does creep into Dublin a little bit. I just think they just have too much talent on the field to lose to lose the game on Sunday. And even if Westmead play well and there is a bit of complaints from Dublin, I think that, that Dublin's talent will in this case shine through and um, and they'll be okay. Donica? Yeah, I just uh, I think it's important for Westmead that they don't get um for a point of view like right, okay, we're not expecting to win it, but from the point of view of maybe doing something after the Leinster final, which they didn't manage last year, I think it's important for them that they don't uh, lose heavily because if you decide to go toe to toe in Dublin and give Dublin an excuse to go and give you a bad beating, they will do it. Like me, didn't really, 
the meet had accepted their fate early in the game and Dublin just kept the ball for the last 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And, but I think if you're going at Dublin and, and all of a sudden there's big holes opening up and they're bringing on Conor Callan, these guys who are trying to prove a point, I think it could get really, it could get really ugly. So um, it's important for us me to be going into the next game, assuming they lose, which is the assumption we're making, without having too much sort of mental baggage going into that. Yeah, but how do you do that? Because like, you know, if you take it that, you know, the perceived wisdom or the perceived, uh, you know, the best practice to limit a scoreline is that you get all your men behind the ball and you try and uh, you try and close out space and you try and keep a team outside the shooting zone. Like if you do that, well, then, you know, the compromise that you make is that you can't get players forward. You don't fella have fellas in advanced positions. You don't threaten goal. And like what's more, you know, frustrating or demoralizing for a player, the opposition going through the middle of you. Uh, and getting a load of scores or you sitting there with 15 minutes left in the game you're 12 points down and you're defending all the right zones but the opposition are throwing the ball around to each other and you're kind of aimlessly trying to run after the ball if you take it I just believe like Dublin are now more practiced against that sort of defence than they are against any other team out there and as Alan was saying if you give Dublin their short kick out they probably have a set piece that they could run off in their sleep where they can put the ball yeah. over the bar. Whereas if you do something different and you make them think a little bit more on their feet, I just on their feet, I think that you're just going to get a small bit more out of them. I don't think they're going to beat them no matter what way they play it, but I just think that if they give it a go and they don't follow suit and they don't do what Dublin or what Dublin are certainly planning for every team to do against them this year, that they'll probably have a bit more joy. There is a feeling, but that. Dublin are sort of sleepwalking through this at the minute and they're quite happy to sleepwalk through it until something real comes their way in August and September. I'd just be afraid of, of poking the bear nearly in, in a certain way because they will cut loose eventually, they will show us everything and they will play for 70 minutes and when they do that, someone could get, get very badly beaten. So uh, it's a tough one and I agree on the kickouts as well. Like That's just that's just a no-brainer at this stage. Um, the minute you give up the kickouts, I think you're gone. Alan, just one, yeah. sorry, just come in there. One interesting thing that yeah. Tom Cribben mentioned at the Westmead press night last week, he was talking about a discussion he had with one of the Dublin backroom team, I think it was after the final, and uh, he, he said he was amazed at the level of preparatory work Dublin had done on Westmead even before they got to the Leinster final, you know, on, on the basis that they might get there and here was a f potential future opponent. Can you give us any insight into the, the level of work that goes on in the background in this Dublin setup? Yeah, like it's no secret, James. One of James' strengths is his attention to detail, and 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 like he has his he has his guys underneath him who he has working very very hard for him. And there'll be a lot of stuff going on in the background that even that even the players wouldn't see. And I'm sure Jim at the start of the year would have mapped out who we thought who we thought Dublin would face would face in the Leinster semi final, would face in the Leinster final, and he'd he'd watch these guys in the league to see how they were doing. And that's that's how. In depth, you would get like this is a this is a twenty four hour day obsession for Jim Gavin, and um, even though he obviously has his has his job as well, but this this is uh, he is obsessed about and his attention to detail will lead to Dublin being so well prepared for any team they play. Like it's not like I'm not trying out cliche. We we've always prepared in previous years as well for a Leinster quarterfinal as we would for an All Ireland semi final or an All Ireland final, and that's each each game is approached the same as any other and. I think just coming back to, 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 to how Westmead approached the game, obviously Tom Cribben will have to set up with some sort of defensive structure to, to try to nullify the Dublin forwards. But I think the best thing he can do is allow his players to go out and express themselves, allow the likes of John Helsman, these guys, to go out and express themselves and see how see how far it gets. And I think if they try to set up similar to Mead and don't commit men to the attack, then then 
um, I think it'll be a long day for 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 Westmead and a long day for supporters of both counties. Right. I mean, we saw it last year. Basically, it was like a setup of a goalkeeper, twelve defenders, John Heslin, and then I think Kieran Martin. And you know, there was no way in the wide earthly world that was going to win a match for you, was it? No, and there's no question. Like as good as John Heslin or Kieran Martin, are, they need to have support there against the Dublin backline. And and if they get support there, it's not like Dublin don't play with three extra men at the back. Like the most they'll probably have back there, they leave. Keno Sullivan sitting there, they leave Dennis Baxter sitting they'll have one extra man so if they can get support from us they're quick enough for support and they're quick enough there will be opportunities where they'll find themselves in one-on-one situations and that's ultimately what any any forward line wants to create or what any forward wants it's just an opportunity to, to take his man on one-on-one OK that's great listen we'll, we'll say goodbye to Alan now uh, thanks a million for your time and your thoughts there Donica whatever about Leinster uh, the Ulster showpiece promises all kinds of fireworks here doesn't it? Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one, and particularly from a Tyrone point of view, because they're the one team we've been talking about who could maybe get through the glass ceiling and and really mix it with the uh, the the guys who we think can win the uh, win the All Ireland. And um, the one thing we got thrown, of course, is they haven't played Division One opposition. That's the big thing of them going into this game. They've been really impressive. They got Division Two promotion wrapped up without the minimum fuss. Uh, I think the Cavan drawn game was shown to be a little bit of a, a freak result. We kind of discussed it here. We we thought Tyrone were dominant that day, and uh, they showed that in the replay. Now this will be uh, the first proper test, and we'll see how good they actually are. And Donegal will uh, Donegal will give them the fill of it. Lots of people earlier in the earlier in the summer were questioning just how good Donegal are now at this stage, but they've defied quite a few of their doubters by reaching their sixth uh, consecutive provincial final. Michael, have you been surprised by by their run? Yeah, we've been questioning them for a while now, like whether the legs were gone. But there's been a nice little influx of youthful players there now, and they're moving really well. And like Mon- it was probably a bit false the last day. Monaghan probably didn't really deserve to be in that game. It was probably two goals, and Conor McManus up his his opportunism, I suppose, that kept them in the game. But yeah, I've been really impressed with Donegal or McNeilis. Um, the Owen McHugh coming in there as well. Ryan McHugh has become more and more important. I think Michael Murphy was probably carrying a knock in the last couple of weeks. You'd hope that he's probably, particularly the first day, um, the first day against Monaghan, he didn't look particularly fresh. He'd be hoping they'd be looking fresher again at the weekend. Again, like they've beaten Tyrone regularly in the last five or six years, and they will fancy themselves again. They need the direct route. They need to win Sunday, I'd imagine. I don't think they'll fancy going into the last 12 and having to build through the qualifiers again. So there's a massive emphasis on them winning the game. But saying that Tyrone haven't won one in six years, I don't think they've been in a final in six years. They're going to be really going gung-ho for it as well. It's a hard one to call because um, like Ulster, and particularly this Ulster final, I think is like almost a little mini kind of microclimate in and of itself like I think Tyrone are the better, better built to go and win the All-Ireland or get to the All-Ireland final I think they'll have more joy in Crow Park I think they have more pace I think they're more polished and more inventive in the final third of the pitch but that's not to say that Donegal won't beat them because you know historically these teams when they come up against each other they tend to play very specific game plans cater towards the opposition's uh, the opposition's system um, and you know on a given day you couldn't bet against Rory Gallagher coming up uh, with something that's going to beat Mickey Hart but you know I think in the wider lot more long term sort of further into the championship uh, consequences I don't think it makes that big a difference it just you know one of the teams might lose and be spat out on the same side of the draw as Dublin and you know the winner won't and that's probably the biggest thing uh, that will come down to but ultimately I still think regardless of what happens on Sunday that, that Tyrone are the better equipped team to have a cut at winning the All-Ireland.
Isn't it refreshing though to have even have two managers chawing at each other a small bit the week of a game and just we're we've been looking forward to this. We're really, really crying out for this this bit of excitement. In fairness now and we've been given out about over the past couple of years, but the Ulster Championship has been the saving grace so far this year. And you hope maybe that because there's so much of a build up, you hope that Sunday isn't a letdown, but it has all the makings of a cracking game. It's bitter too, like I mean you can't overlook that fact that on occasion uh, and frequently in championship, Ulster Championship games between Tyrone and Donegal, it has been very, very bitter. Like the spite runs pretty thick between these two counties, and that's part of what you're talking about there. That's the, that's the, that's the subplot to everything that's said about this fixture. The two good teams, they're meeting at a point of the year when there's a big trophy on offer. They're well managed. Uh, they're interesting teams to watch insofar as they think for themselves and they don't tend to follow opposition systems. But it's all the subplot is. They don't like each other very much. And for all the talk about what about the poor little children, we we need a bit of bitterness in the championship, don't we? Definitely. Like it was last May, was it last year they played in the preliminary game or quarter final, and it was just brilliant, you know. Like and people can say what they like, you know. There was bits and pieces of sledging and things like that, but we love to see you see player. You're seeing players up for the game. You're seeing how much it means to them. They were really they were hopping off each other there last year, and you'd be hoping for the same on Sunday. That's what we want. It's a little bit different this rivalry in in that it's not just between the two teams. Like if you look at what Donegal and Monaghan have, those two teams. Teams uh, have a have a fair rivalry going on at the minute, but this is actually a county v county yeah, thing. It runs deep. It, it runs, runs right deeper. Through. We know all about the, the minor game and the accusations that were made there. Um, so, uh, like, it's not just it's 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 county v county. So this would be very very interesting one. And like Donegal, a lot of these Donegal players will feel that they just they've had the whip hand on to run over the last number. They of have years. Four, Even, four times in yeah, five seasons. Yeah. yeah, and and for all the talk of like this is a coming to own team, they're the, they're the ones who may who look more like an All Ireland you know all Ireland material will that be a factor now on Sunday well I was talking to Peter Canavan during the week and, and he was just talking about the uh, uh, the fact that if if Kerry had beaten you know had gone through and beaten some of the lesser teams in Munster would they be talking about them as, as all Ireland champions he says no they wait until they get a, a test against one of the bigger teams and he says this is this is Tyrone's test now and he says this is where we know where they stand so we're going to find out on Sunday evening exactly what the story is with this Tyrone team Would have been interesting if they hadn't if they hadn't had a replay against Cavan because I think they would have learned an awful lot from there if they'd scraped over the first day by a point or two I think I would have fancied Donegal more going into this game but I think they're probably a lot better prepared given they had that second game and I know they conceded a big score but by God they put up a huge score and the pace that they're attacking with from the back Tiernan McCann and these guys and they seem to have these couple of forwards that we were saying they didn't have, they seem to have them this year. The, the, the play, it's really interesting when these teams play each other that a lot of the time the players that become the most influential on in the game, even in terms of what to do with the ball, because because the forwards are always so heavily marked, it tends to be the people who are coming from behind the ball onto it that have a huge influence. And like um, the last day, Peter Hart was absolutely exceptional for Tyrone, and he's the perfect example of it. Tierney McCann is a brilliant example of it. Uh, Roy McHugh, Frank, Frank McLean, like these are perfect examples of that new role. The fella coming from behind the ball, waiting for a gap, and going through it, and all of a sudden, open things up and loosen things back there. And then you, you know, you shift it off to a Paddy McBrady or a, a McCurry or somebody whose job it is just to put it over the bar. But these footballers in these sort of uh, in these sort of games are really, really valuable. And is that maybe the big difference between Tyrone and Donegal? two teams who have a defensive structure and and all these others who are imitating them over the last few years that they don't have killer players from deep who can come yeah, and they know get, what to do they get them on the situations. ball as well like you can have like we were talking um, about Westmead and Kildare like the games that they played against each other and, and loosely loosely speaking on a very simplistic level they didn't play 
particularly different from each other. But the difference was that Westmead got their good players on the ball more often. Uh, and John Heslin, Karen Martin, whereas Kildare left Niall Kelly uh, to rot basically inside the full forward line. They couldn't get him the ball. And that's what this system does when Tyrone have these players. They, like, you know, the really good ball carriers are actually coming from behind the ball. And it's the same reason that Michael Murphy spends so much time out in midfield. Because, okay, people talk about sticking him in a full forward, but presumably the more often Michael Murphy touches the ball, the better. And, you know, if you have to play him out in his half-forward half line or in midfield, so be it. You do feel that this comes more naturally to the likes of Tyrone and Donegal than, than either... They've been like doing Kildare. it longer. They've been doing it longer. Doing it longer, but it's just, it's just the way they play, you know what I mean? So it, it's a lot easier for them to go and do the system and buy into it because that's what they do. Um, whereas if you pull a guy out of club football in Westmead or Kildare, it might be a little bit more, more alien to them. So it's just a much more better natural fit and... The, the players the do with a bit more work. sense of purpose as well. Like you, you get a feeling from a lot of teams when you watch them play like this. The players are have a very specific role that they think they're supposed to do, and they don't think beyond that because yeah. they're actually playing in a position that doesn't exist or didn't exist when they were learning how to play they're, football. They're, they're, they're the Donegal's and Thrones of this world are doing it at a level of intensity. Yeah, that well, the Meads yeah. and, and Kildare's mm. just haven't come close to And it's to a yet. bit more off the cuff too. You know, I mean, the difference is they've gotten to a level where players can improvise within the confines of the system, whereas everybody else that's only learning it or in implementing it now, players are having to think on their feet as to how not to make a mistake. You, you'll see Colin Kavanagh, who spends an awful lot of time, we talk about him sweeping around the front of goal and all that, but as soon as they get the ball, it's automatic, he's gone, he's gone forward. Whereas if you get other guys who aren't used to doing this sort of thing, it takes a while to get into the mindset, now that we have the ball, right, we're going forward. Whereas if, if you're in your head, if you're sweeping, you're there like, OK, well, this my job is primarily to defend. And the other thing is Colin Kavanagh knows how to multitask at this stage. When it comes to kickouts, he'll be there contesting I think he's them. nearly, I think he's almost Tyrone's most important player. Yeah, more so than that, Sean, yeah. more so than Peter Hart, because he is the only fella, like they aim nearly every long kickout at him. He is the fella who challenges all the opposition's kickouts. He's brilliant in the air. He, like... You know, when the mark comes in next year, we've nearly all forgotten about that. But this is a fella who could actually, one of the few footballers in the country that you could make a profit out of, like, because he's so good at catching cleanly in the air. Uh, and now his football smarts are incredibly good as well. He stands back when he goes in, but I think he's the most important footballer on the Toronto team. The other plus point is that Sean hasn't been his most influential yet and you'd imagine there's a little bit more to come from him you could say the same about Michael Murphy for Donegal actually that he hasn't been um, at his usual high levels and both these teams are sort of starting to flourish without these lads doing mm -hmm. well which is uh, which is a good sign for both of them but I, I think this is, this is brilliantly poised that that'll, that's it, the game of the weekend for it, me it, it, it is great to see us all getting so animated about a provincial championship match which must be nearly the first time of the season uh, but I'm going to put all three of you now on the spot in a word Donegal or Tron I'll start with you Donica. Tyrone Connor Tyrone Tyrone by two That's three but, words <laughs> But it's a proper prediction <laughs> Now turning to Connacht and Michael Yeah you must be very disappointed that uh, Roscommon goal with the sequel isn't live on TV Yeah it's a bit of a disaster isn't it really You'd imagine that it could have been moved around to be on a Saturday or There was some way to accommodate To have a provincial final uh, replay not being on TV is you know that's it's hard it must be very hard for the people involved the counties involved to take in particular but given what we saw last Sunday um, like they think the last 30 seconds of the game just summed up the whole scenario for me Roscommon were two down I think and they're after getting level and they had a chance to really give it a good go there was no way no way God we were going to go up the field in 10 seconds and get the winning score and Roscommon just hand-passed the ball and looked like they had no interest in actually winning the game, which is crazy. It's, it's almost like pr players have been programmed in. They were like thinking, OK, we have a draw now. We'll take that. You were just mad for them to actually go 
and win the thing you know and that was seriously disappointing we that, should we yeah. should point out that it's been streamed on rte.ie um but as I, I i when the press release came out i sent out a tweet and somebody replied to me saying i hope i'm in a wi-fi free a wi-fi free zone for that so uh, that that was the the general feeling the kind of final just the last point about um maybe uh, Roscommon not going on to win it i think just from people talking to people who were there the wind was incredible you needed to be a lot closer to the goal than they were to, to uh, work a, a reasonable uh, scoring but chance. manufacture a free surely get it in there give it give them a chance like if if the ball had come back out he was going to blow anyway they were just but going through the hands if you lose the ball with that wind that ball is down the field and over the bar in Eight seconds. The only thing I'll say about that is looking at the way Galway approached the last 10 or 15 minutes of that game, you'd wonder would they have gone for it? Because like it beggars belief that they didn't win a game that they were in so control of for 60 odd minutes. They went two points ahead and then it was as if they're down tools. They did miss on. a few chances. They did miss a couple of chances. I think Shane Walsh had a decent chance towards the end. Um, so uh, I, I, I do think they were going for it. They just didn't push on and do the. They needed one more score. I'd say one more score would have definitely done them. How do you like the the mindset of a game like this where where Roscommon really played poorly for the vast majority of it? They were blessed to get a draw, really, when you when you think about it. But is that a good thing for them, or should Galway go into this game thinking, do you know, our system worked almost to a treat. We just need to fine tune a few things and and we'll win this. Well, the other thing is like if if you get a, a was it Danny Cummins was saying a dry sod as he called it, like that could suit Galway as well. You'd imagine it, you know Roscommon have loads of really good footballers but sort of Galway and, and if they get a chance to turn it on like again this is no more than the Ulster final this is very finely balanced it's it's uh, depending on uh, I suppose who can learn from the last day I think that's who you're looking at What we probably learned from the last day is that Roscommon playing a sweeper double sweeper system they've, they have an awful lot to learn about how to use the, the players in those positions Roscommon have the greatest thing that Roscommon have is an awful lot of really good scoring forwards and I just don't think that they're getting enough out of them. But on a more, uh, just to broaden the point, and this isn't the first time this is going to be said, and it's not going to be the last time, but given our predictions, uh, particularly for the Leinster final as well, we're looking at a season in where you have four provincial finals in football and three of them look like they're going to be damp squibs with bad crowds. And, you know, if that doesn't say something about maybe the future of the provincial championships I don't know I don't know what those because really Ulster no more than Munster in Hurland is just it. you know it's the saving grace and I'm not sure whether the sanctity of the or the importance of the Ulster football championship is enough to keep the, the system as it currently is I don't know if is. people would have been saying that after Galway overturned Mayo like in Castlebar you know what I mean I think that people just feel these things just go every Monday the, the, the mood changes and these things like you know fair yeah desperate desperate Connacht final but like we were, when Galway beat Mayo, we were, we were finally saying, geez, the championship's alive. You know? Yeah, but you're going to say the championship's alive when there's a giant killing moment. It doesn't have to be within the confines of a province. I know, but there is a certain amount of stock put in traditional rivals throwing each other over. There's, there's much more put in that than there would be like two random counties. Longford beating Manon, no? Yeah, it's a, it's a big shot, but like, were people great for Longford, but was anyone talk, many others talk about Monday no, morning? I still think that was a that was a huge, huge result of all. Oh, the, it was a huge result, like, but you know, we still we still talk. Galway Mayo was is probably the one that generated the most comment after that. Uh, probably in the context that Mayo were seen as all Ireland, real all Ireland contenders, and suddenly they were asking what's gone wrong with them. But uh, I, I still think, I mean, if you were to if to look at all the results Longford have produced over the last few years, uh, winning matches in Ulster, to beat Monaghan in Clonus, still That's a brilliant result. Yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant result. I'm just, I suppose we've mentioned before on this show that there's been 120 odd years of tradition, and that carries so much weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But should it? That's my point. 
We're not going to solve yeah. this riddle if today. Only those people, if only it was people whose jobs it was if to come only, up with yeah, coherent yeah. opinions if on these things. If only we had a platform for this sort of stuff. Listen, we've dovetailed neatly into the qualifiers there. We've already started talking about Longford last weekend, but we'll talk about them this Saturday against Cork. Now, uh, the match has been fixed for Pierce uh, Park, even though part of it is kind of uh, sinking into the Midlands. Uh, the CCC decided that it could it could hold the, the, the expected crowd here. Uh, could that be a tiebreaker? Michael, I'll ask you first. And, and do you think it could swing it, the way, it Longford's way? It's funny. Traditionally, in the qualifiers, they've almost been better on the road than at home. But I, I think it will help. Any little advantage like that will help. Cork aren't exactly going to bring, and that's why the game is there in Pierce Park, Cork aren't exactly going to bring this massive crowd. They're not exactly on a, high, a massive high at the moment. I think they're expecting between three and a half and 4,000. I think it holds between four five and four eight or something like that. But uh, you'd imagine it would create a good atmosphere. They're on a serious roll now, you know. They have this this thing when they get when they're beaten in Leinster that they're able to just get on a roll, and I think they have a great chance of continuing that on Saturday. Cork, as I said, I was down watching Cork and Limerick the other day in Turles, and God, that was poor. Now, in all honesty, and Longford, if Longford can contain them for the first fifteen twenty minutes. And then just give it a right good go. I think they have a brilliant chance. The, the, the Longford story is absolutely brilliant for a number of reasons. Partly because, you know, talking to a couple of the players, the, the thing that they really um, targeted this year was a run in Leinster. They were drawn at home against Offaly, a team that they'd beaten in the last two championships. Uh, they couldn't host the game because there was a problem with, with Pierce Park. The game was then moved to Tullamore. Uh, despite the fact that they wanted the game in a neutral venue. And then prior to the game, their manager, Dennis Connerton, came out with a remarkable statement when he said because of uh, fixture issues with regard to the local club championship and the non-availability of players for training, that they were unlikely to win that game. And I can't remember, like in GAA, like in, in a match that was so evenly balanced, the manager coming out in, in advance of that and saying that we're probably not going to win this game. And yet somehow they managed to go on. Uh, they've beaten uh, down, they've beaten Monaghan away. And if they win on Saturday... And they probably have a better chance, given that it is at home, they'll have beaten three Division One counties in succession. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, they have a great attitude to the qualifiers, like they always have. I think go back to 2010, um, they beat Mayo, wasn't it? Um, and they've was, beaten Derry three times, sorry, done again the last 10 years as well. They've beaten down Monaghan twice. twice, and they've Cabin, beaten Mayo. Yeah, they ran Kerry pretty close. It's yeah. bizarre. Like. The other thing is, and they don't seem to, off, just off the top of my head, they don't seem to have that loss of when a team goes out of a provincial title or championship. They don't seem to have that loss of guys heading off to wherever they are to play ball in states or whatever like that. Maybe they have it factored into their schedule for the year that they'll be knocked out in Leinster in May and then they can refocus on the qualifiers in late June or whatever, no? <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, their attitude was spot on. Mm. This is what, like when the boys were talking about the qualifiers coming in 2001, this is what they were thinking. This is exactly what they were thinking. We will get the likes of Longford up and they'll, have, they'll be beating Derry and Derry and down and down. Um, you do have to factor the, the six-day turnaround, the, the one-week turnaround into the modern result, but beating them in Clonus is no joke for anybody, Division 1 teams included. So, yeah, it's, a, it's fairly impressive. Now, the televised qualifier this Saturday is Mayo against Kildare uh, in McHale Park. Now, Connor, uh, is it a case, do you think, that Mayo are back in business after beating Fermanagh, or did you see something in Kildare watching them against Offaly last Saturday to suggest otherwise? It's a hard game to read. Like Kildare, Kildare were obviously under a lot of pressure. They put themselves um, under a bit of pressure to beat Westmead, given that they were playing on the far side of the Leinster draw. They wanted to get and play Dublin, and then you have a freak crack at Dublin and a match to get back into the quarterfinals. And they were they were really really disappointed. I suppose 
when you lose a match that you're expecting to win, it's harder again to pick it up in the qualifiers. And um, you know they've gone very close against Offaly. They've beaten them the last five times in a row. But you know that defeat was probably coming at some stage. But the interesting thing about Kildare that day was that um, Keane O'Neill, the system that he was implementing in the first two games, a kind of a double sweeper system that the players looked very. Um, they just looked a little bit uncomfortable playing it. They didn't really play it against Offaly. In fact, he admitted as much afterwards that they, they kept one man back, but they committed an awful lot more men to attack. Now, the upshot was that they conceded two goals. I think it was 2-14. Um, and like one of the goals was a bad turnover. Another one was a penalty that came off a mistake. So, like, the question... that And Keane O'Neill afterwards openly said, look, this is all well and good because we could get away with it today. But if we play a team of... Um, of better calibre, we might have to go back the other way. And Mayo away, I mean, you'd, you'd be nearly certain that they're going to go back to that system. If they do play that system, as we said earlier on, they find it very hard to get Niall Kelly and Neil Flynn on the ball, fellas who can put the ball over the bar. So, I mean, unless within the space of five or six days, they've um, they've improved that system in a big, big way. And they're going to find it difficult to get scores this weekend. But it's not just improving it in terms of how they transition to, to attack. But I can remember the... Um semi-final against Westmead where they had all those men back and yet James Dolan right through yeah, the second right half the middle, yeah. he would start wandering totally unmarked 50 yards from goal keep wandering and no one was picking mm. him up well, so like, like there's a lot of work to, to be that done that goes back that. to what we're saying yeah, earlier isn't players, it you, players you have to know what you're doing yeah, like. players playing by number and if you think that you're a zonal marker or if you think that you are a, a specific man marker and somebody walks through a zone who has no specific man marker like James Dolan, there's nobody whose job it is. So fellas aren't actually thinking for themselves. They think, well, I'm doing my job and that can't possibly come up to me. But like Mayo, obviously, they didn't look great last weekend. They got a bit of luck at the end, but they, they're probably over that possibility of getting scalped and yeah. like two home draws in a row was very, very lucky for I was I was over there. I was in Castlebar for the game and... Um, there probably was a little bit of nervousness in the first half and for Man, I got a run on them. They got the last four points at the half. Now they were playing with a big win, but it's still... And there was a little bit of unease around the place at halftime as well. They were bad wide as well, didn't they? Like, did, did, yeah. But I suppose the thing to say about the second half, they were utterly dominant. Like, for Man, I got two points in the second yeah, half and yeah. literally could not get the ball out of their half. And, and the other thing is, some players who had gone AWOL against Galway, they did show up in that second half too, didn't they? Yeah, well... It's the usual suspects you're looking at from a Mayo point of view. You know, the the um, Barry Moran came on and actually did what did really well for them. The other thing about it was they absolutely insisted on trying to run the ball down from Manus Road, which against the win the first half you'd say fine it makes sense. But they continued with the second half, and just from counting roughly while I was watching the game, the ball that was kicked into Hidden O'Shea for the penalty was one of very few that was kicked into him when he was standing in there with a gale force wind behind him. They were so slow, so reluctant to kick it into him. Um, and Fermanagh just kept picking them off because that's what Fermanagh do in Ulster. Like they just, they know again, they know what they're doing with that system, getting bodies behind the ball and clogging it up and turning it over. So um, yeah, I, I think the home draw again um, should be enough. I think Mayo starting to find their feet in terms of what they're doing. So I expect uh, Mayo to come out on that one. And do you think Mayo are getting a bit more versed in the system they've been trying to use? Like, I mean, they have been using Kevin McLaughlin as a sweeper quite a bit for well, a fair bit of those two matches. This is the problem with last weekend. They were playing. Uh, against the win so to have an extra man an extra body back there was just just made sense um, to do it in the second half you couldn't really see what they're trying to do in the second half because it was almost like backs and forwards 
Um, the ball wasn't coming out. They just had it after time after time. They're just running at them in waves and waves and waves. So it, it was hard to see exactly what Mayo were trying to do in the second half. But every game they get on the belt, they're going to be a little bit better and a little bit more comfortable with what they're at. Yeah, I just hope Kildare take a good cut at the weekend. Like there's nothing to lose. I think they're seven to one outsiders. Everyone expects Mayo to win and probably to win handy. I don't think they should revert back to this game they were playing against Wexford and Westmead. Did it doesn't look suited to them? They didn't play during the league like that. So I would one sweeper and try and get their best players in the ball try and get Kelly in the ball try and get Flynn in the ball and try and put up a score like they did the other day Surely after taking Offaly's scalp they'll be imbued with confidence Is Offaly a scalp now? <laughs> you seem to think so last week when you spent yeah, all our money on him You backed him this is a charity somewhat suffering Oh stop yeah listen there are two other qualifiers taking place the weekend we'll just mention them briefly we've got Sligo at home to Clare and Cavan against Derry I'll, I'll, I'll ask one of our men here to volunteer for an outcome on those two Donica you're nearest to me here um, I've I've seen Clare a couple of times this year, and I'm just uh, very impressed with how they go about their business. Colm Collins is uh, they're really well coached. They just look look like they're making the absolute most of themselves. The big advantage for them this week is that they'll have Podge Collins for the week to themselves. Um, obviously last weekend he was double job, and so uh, in the Munster semi final against Kerry, Podge was one of their better players until he got black carded about midway through the first half. So, um. I think Clare are a really good team. Now, to go and win in, in Sligo was a big ask, but I've seen more of Clare now and I think they're, they're more than decent. Just on Podge Collins, it's phenomenal what he's doing. Like We were down in Turles, Frank, and he was popping up in the first half everywhere, getting scores, and then he comes in. He's one of these players, he was only on the field for, I think, 20 minutes, but he always makes an impact. He always gets on the ball, and I think they know to get him on the ball as well. What he's doing now is, is mad enough in the current climate to say that he could play 70 minutes after coming back from a big injury and then still have a big impact for 20 minutes is brilliant like it's it's a fair achievement yeah okay and uh, who would you would you fancy them as well uh, just about yeah just about but it's hard to go up to Markovich Park and get a win I, they beat them I think they beat them 7 points in the league I expect 1 or 2 no more than 1 or 2 in it just clear S- just I'd say Sligo I think had their biggest win in the history of the qualifiers the last day 215 I think they scored um, and that's it's hard to know because they're up against Leitrim who don't have a good win. We're talking about Longford being good in the qualifiers. Leitrim don't seem to have that sort of... To, to get it hard to refocus. If they can't get a big big win in or a big performance in, in Connacht, get it hard to go again in the qualifiers for some reason. And Kevin against Derry, would you... Is, the, is Derry have... Did they rediscover something about themselves in that second half against Mead? Well, I wasn't there, obviously, but it's, like, it's hard to know whether, whether it was another Mead fade out, whether the wind was as big a... a, a um, uh, factor as it seemed to be um, but I, I just think Cavan are more comfortable with what they're doing and they're building towards something and I think if they didn't win that that would be a big setback for them I know they, they'll, they'll have been smartened since the Toronto game so you, you, I'd expect Cavan to win that one. I think the Cavan bubble has burst a small bit now they weren't any bit impressive last weekend I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Derry but Derry it's the sort of game Derry will fancy you know it's an Ulster Championship game basically and I think they'll fancy beating them yeah it's, it's a probably free enough shot for them Probably a free, like, uh, you know, Cavan will be expected to win that. Um, and if they don't, yeah, it'll be a huge setback for them. If Derry don't win it, people will say, well, they're up against Cavan, who are playing Division 1 next year. Any thoughts on this, Connor? Yeah, I think Cavan will win it. OK, thanks for that, lads. Ball Sports will refund all losing in play bets if the last score of your televised championship match is a goal. Download the Ball Sports app or get in store today for full details. GAA betting with Ball Sports, bring it on. And still to come, we'll be hearing from Leon Blanche from Boyle Sports on some value bets for the weekend games. But first, Martin Brehney and Roy Curtis go head-to-head on the Big J topics. This week, they're arguing whether Jim Gavin's Dublin side is better than Hefo's heroes of the 1970s. 
Roy Curtis argues that they are. I say yes. The Dublin team of the 1970s were my heroes. They were magnificent, the team that conquered the mountaintop. And to argue against them is something I thought I would never do. But you can't stand away in the way of the facts. Already the current Dublin team have matched the three All-Irelands in a more competitive time with most of the players yet to reach their peak. Um, the 70s team never came close to winning 22 games in a row, which the current team have done in an age when Dublin, Donegal, Mayo, Monaghan and Tyrone have arrived. This current team has greater depth. Kevin McManaman, and Alan Brogan, McDermott McCauley came off the bench. Um, last year, they lost two footballers of the year and the best full-back, arguably, of the last 10 years and went on to win the league convincingly again. The finest team there's, that Dublin have ever had. The, the Dublin team of the 70s came against a background where they hadn't won. Dublin had won nothing, no All-Ireland since 1963, uh, no Leinster was in 65. So they were against that background when football was very low in Dublin. So they had that psychological barrier to overcome for a start, losing first-round games repeatedly in the Leinster Championship, going down to Kilkenny playing in front of 25 people in, in league games. So that's uh, something that the current team never had to deal with because they were always, admittedly they were, had gone through a relatively rocky patch, but they were still winning Leinster title with uh, great ease. But uh, Roy makes the point there about more competitive times. I would dispute that seriously. Uh, first of all, there was a real Leinster Championship then when you had counties like uh, Mead, certainly, Kildare were better than they are, and I would, we, we could meet, look at the results at that time, how difficult it was to, to, to win the Leinster Championship. And bear in mind, Leinster, uh, the Leinster team of the time, of the, Leinster, of the other Leinster counties, were better than they are now. We know that from the league placings. And finally, do, that Dublin team was up against the best team of all time in the Kerry team, would have won six in a row. I have no doubt they won six in a row if that Kerry team weren't around. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the competitive thing, if you look, you've had... In that period between 74 and 81, Dublin and Kerry were the only teams remotely close to winning in All-Ireland. Um, even since the, the turn of this decade, which we're talking about being non-competitive, we've had Cork, Donegal, Kerry and Dublin winning on All-Ireland, uh, Mayo going very close. But I think what you really have to do when you look at these things is to defer to the people who know best, the people who are involved. David Hickey, many people's idea of the best of those Dublin footballers, has been involved with the current team. And as he said, his direct quote, I hate saying this, it goes against my ego, but the current team are far better than us. More athletic, more talented, more depth, they will achieve greater things. Well, uh, you'll always find that, that teams from an early area tend to, tend to be generous in that regard. But secondly, uh, you, we cannot compare them. Vis -vis, you take the, the training that the Dublin team had at that time and the training they had now. So if you took this team and put it back in the 70s and, and try and take that team and bring it forward to now, that's the only way you can make a comparison. You can't do that, of course, because of, of, of it's impossible to do it. But I still think that, the, that we have to come back to the... This was the Ali Fraser era, Kerry v Dublin in the 70s. Six in a row. That I have no. Would you? Would you? Uh, would you dispute the fact that that uh, Dublin would have won six in a row if it weren't for that great Kerry team? I. I. If that's if that was the Ali Frazier era, this is the Duran Hearns Sugar Ray Hagler era. Oh, there are more on, more great fighters um, rather I, than two having the thing to themselves. I, Don King would not have had to create rumbles in the jungles or thrillers in Manila because right now what we have. Um, is great, great battles in Croker. Um, this is not Ali against Blue Lewis now. This is, these are real heavyweight fights every week. Leinster is weaker, of course it is. But we are now, we're now talking about a national game. The championship starts in August with eight teams, generally six of whom are potential All-Ireland winners. Um, the Kerry team won more All-Irelands in the 70s. Um, you say that teams defer to those who go subsequently. I haven't heard any of the Kerry players 
from the 70s saying the team of the last decade who won four All-Irelands were better than them. So teams well, don't defer. Teams, teams, only, teams only defer when they believe that to be the case. You could hardly say it when Kerry won 8 out of 11. I mean, they're hardly going to say that's not a, a, a fair comparison, seeing they won four, seeing they won four in a row. I, I, mean, I, I, I hate to say, Martin, that when you're losing the debate, you start talking about the Kerry team when the debate is about the Dublin team. But we can talk about the Cork and Mayo teams if you wish as well. You can, and you can talk about the Cork team of 2010 that won possibly, the, you, you mentioned them earlier on, the won possibly the worst All-Ireland Championship we've seen since certainly in my life. I can't think of a worst All-Ireland, or a worst All-Ireland Championship than 2010. How good were Donegal? How good is, are the current, the current crop? of Half of them can't even win the provincial titles. Some of them are coming through the back door to win. So, I mean, we've got to compare that Dublin team and what it did and the level at which they were at and consistently at that level for so many years. That's the difference. Right, all very black or white there. Uh, Connor, have you any view on this as a, as a dub? Are you a 70s man or a 2010s aficionado? Well, I was born in 1983, so uh, the lads of the 70s were, um, you know, the stuff of videotapes at home. But Get off the fence, please, it's Connor. <laughs> it's, it's, in a way, it's kind of a ridiculous argument because you're, you're comparing eras. But the only thing you will say is, I suppose the last thing that Jim Gavin's Dublin team have to do that they haven't achieved yet is retain in all Ireland. Until then, I don't think there's any um, the, only any definitive answer. Answer. Connor slams Heffo's heroes. Yes, we, is, we'll, that, yeah. we'll come back and ask him in September. Then, uh, right, it's time to take some money off the bookies and Leon Blanche from Boyle Sports. How are you doing, uh, Leon? Good afternoon, Frank. How are you? Very good. We've got loads of uh, hopefully top quality football action uh, this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, you're going to talk us through it. Uh, we'll probably start with the provincial finals. Yeah, I think obviously, I think the game of the weekend, Frank, uh, from a football perspective, uh, in my opinion, anyway, will be this resurgent Tyrone team um, taking on Donny Hall. And um, I have to say, I was mightily impressed with Tyrone's performance in their replay victory over Cavan. And it's no surprise to see them going in here as the warm order favourites at one to two. Uh, to def- defeat a Donegal team who, in my opinion, are nowhere near the standard uh, that was winning matches under Jimmy. Um, and I fully expect uh, Tyrone to be victorious in this Ulster uh, Championship decider. It's been quite a few years since they've got their hand on an Ulster title. And for that reason, and also um, for reasons I just think they look so fit at the moment, um, I could see Tyrone... Uh, pulling away from Donegal in the second half and I think they even though they're not great value at 1-2 to two, I think they will beat them in the replay of the Connacht final I am here's hoping that conditions will be a little bit better than what both sides was common and Galway encountered last weekend and I just think Galway uh, for me um, I think they just uh, look it's probably a toss of a coin it could go either way we might even see another draw after 70 minutes who knows but at slightly uh, better odds than even money. Go, we had 11 to 10, Frank. I think for me, um, they might have learned a little bit more than Roscommon did last weekend. And I just think the tribesmen uh, might just have a little bit extra and should be able to account for Roscommon. Although it's going to be a very, very tight game. I don't think there's going to be much between the two sides. And then, obviously, in the Leinster final, um, not much of a contest, unfortunately. There's no doubt Dublin will win it. Uh, but the big decision that punters have up and down the country is how many points do they think Dublin will beat Westmead by and I think looking at the semi-final victory against Mead, there's no doubt that the Dubs took their foot off the gas and they were just keeping ball um, for long periods of the second half and for that reason, 
I know Westmead probably aren't as good as Mead. Um, I think that's fair comment. But I think Westmead plus 16 points at 5-6 to six is the way I'm going to go. I think, as I said, Dublin will win and they'll win quite comfortably. It must be noted that they didn't score a goal against Mead. I don't think that'll happen against Westmead. I think the Dubs will at least score one. But I think plus 16 points if Dublin are way ahead in the second half. I think once again they'll just take their foot off the pedal. And do you think it, it, it almost appears as if they've been happy enough to win matches by 10 or 11 points this year whereas this time last year where they, were, they were winning them by 16 and 20? Yeah, yeah, I am. I think that's a fair comment. I don't think you learn anything by winning by 16 or 17 or 18 or I don't think you learn much by winning by 10 or 11 either but I think certainly in the games we've noticed this year um, I think Jim Gavin has instructed the players not to go all out just to hammer sides by 20 points or even more um, and I think definitely they're keeping a little bit for what is bound to be uh, bigger tasks when they hit the quarterfinal stage or certainly if they don't if they get a lucky draw in the quarterfinal it might be another easy victory but definitely when it comes to the semi-final you would expect bigger um, and tougher challenges to come ahead but I definitely think that's worth noting Dublin have taken their foot off the pedal in the second half when they know the game is over Okay, finally Leon we're hoping to take some of your or Boyle Sports millions off you in our weekly 50 euro charity bet uh, but we'll start here with the lads and to see what they're where they're putting their money this week Michael Yeah dangerous thing to do probably to agree with a bookie but I'd have to go along with I think Tyrone will win Tyrone minus two is uh, even money, which is a decent bet, and Galway minus one, eleven to ten. So that works out at a four to one double. That's our bet for the week. Fair enough. And Leon, where where are you putting your money? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to stick with Tyrone. Um, I think they will do the business um, at one to two. Uh, I'm going to go with Galway um, at eleven to ten, and I'm going to throw in Westmead plus sixteen points at five to six. So it works out a little bit under five to one, but will give us a five to one the treble. And hopefully, it's about time, lads, between you and I, we start tipping up and backing a couple of winners. Great stuff, Leon. We'll, we'll start counting the stockpile next uh, next week when we tune in again. And we'll talk to you then. All the best, Frank. That's it from the throw-in on independent.ie. My thanks to Alan Brogan, Leon Blanche, Michael Verney, Conor McKeown and Donica Boyle. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes. And we'll be back next Thursday for more from the Championship. Ball Sports will refund all losing in play bets if the last score of your televised championship match is a goal. Download the Ball Sports app or get in store today for full details. GAA betting with Ball Sports, bring it on. <laughs>